Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. We are this week in the third week of our five-week series uh, entitled A Father's Stories, where we have been looking at uh, a number of stories that fathers tell their children, that mothers tell their children, famous Bible stories uh, that, that as a parent I've been reading to my son Joshua. And as we read these stories over and over again, uh, I've come to realize that they're not just stories for children, but they're stories about our Heavenly Father to all of us as grown children of God. And He has given them to us so that we might understand who He is and might give us some direction on how we might respond in faith a little more. And so the first week we looked at the story of creation from Genesis chapter 1. Last week we looked at David and Goliath from 1 Samuel chapter 17. And this week we're going to continue uh, this series by looking at Jesus calling Simon to follow him from Luke chapter 5. So that's where we're going to be today. But before we get there, let me pray for us. Father, we just thank you so much for today. We thank you for your love and for your grace, for your provision for us, which is just awesome. We thank you that you're at work right now in Nicaragua. Father, uh, there are some very dark situations there with the human trafficking and things, things that um, just are, are uh, beyond comprehension almost for us to imagine. Um, but Father, though we didn't maybe know about them until recently, um, you have known about them, and Father, we place them in your hands, and we pray that you would use the Refuge Project and House of Hope and One by One Nicaragua, Chase and Julie and the rest of their team, uh, as well as Wildwood Community Church, that you might use us to uh, alleviate some of the suffering and offer the ultimate hope that is found in Christ. We thank you so much for the time that you've given us, and we thank you for the reminder that you're at work in Nicaragua, because it reminds us that since you're not a God who is territorial, that you have, you're only at work in one nation at any given time. You're present all over the planet. Father, it gives us confidence that you can be at work even here this morning. So, Father, I pray that you would be our teacher today, that your spirit would illuminate the text for us so that we might see and understand a little more uh, what you would have for us here, that we would know you more and that we would uh, respond to this information by faith. And I pray that you would protect me from saying anything you wouldn't want said. But if I say something today that you wouldn't want said, I pray that we would just quickly forget it. But Father, anything that I share today that you would want us to hear, I pray that we would remember it, that we would believe it, that we would walk forward in faith in it, in the power of your spirit, that we might be shaped more into the image of your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to begin this morning with an assertion and ask you to think a little bit. Uh, the assertion is that I think everybody in this room is an expert or an authority on something. Everybody in here is an expert or an authority on something. And, and most of you are probably going, you don't know what you're talking about. But, but think about this. There is something, some little corner of the world, your world, that you know more about or at least as much about as anybody around. If you are a part of a business, it might be, you know, you know that business better than anybody else, or you know your part within that business as well as anybody else around you. You, you know some things about that. You're an authority in that area. 
Uh, if you're a parent, might be your children. You're an authority on your children. You're an expert on your children. You've spent more time with them than anybody else. You understand them. You parent them. You shepherd them. You guide them. You feed them. You bathe them. You clothe them. You know your kids. Maybe that's the area. Maybe it's, maybe it's something not quite as, as big. Maybe it's a video game. Maybe you're an expert at getting past level six, right? Um, maybe it's, it's knowing how to turn things on and off in your kitchen with small appliances so that you don't trip the breaker. Whatever it is, you are an authority or an expert on something. There's something that you know more about than anybody or equal amount as, as anybody around. You're an authority or an expert. Now, I want you to place yourself in that setting. Whatever it is that you are an authority on, whatever it is that you're an expert on, place yourself in that situation where you're doing the thing that you know a lot about, and then imagine that you're in crisis. Imagine that you've hit a spot in that arena where you're struggling. If it's in a business, you, you come up with, you, you come across an obstacle that you don't know how to, how to cross. Maybe it's with staffing, maybe it's with budgets, whatever it is. Uh, you're, you're, you're stuck in a spot. If it's with your kids, maybe it's all of a sudden you just can't seem to connect with them on a significant level or, or they're, they're behaving in a way and you don't know how to respond. If you're domain, your world is your own personal management of your finances or whatever, you, you've, you've just got some bills that you don't know how to pay. In the place of your authority, in the place that you're an expert, you've just come across something that you struggle with, and then imagine that up walks somebody that you know well, but who you perceive has little or no experience in the area that you're dealing with. If it's your business, A friend walks up who hasn't held a job their entire life. They're unemployed by choice at age 39. And they walk up with lots of business advice for you. How do you respond? You're having a difficulty in your family. You have a difficulty as a parent. And up walks a friend who has never had children, doesn't like kids, never even been around children in any way, shape, or form, they walk up with some choice parenting advice. How do you, how do you respond to that? You're, you're having some difficulty with your finances, and, and up walks a friend who's got $50,000 in credit card debt and leases their car, and they've got some, some, some sound financial advice for you. Imagine that situation. You're an expert, you're in the authority, and up walks a friend, they, they offer you some advice. How do you respond? Well, you know, many of us would kind of blow it off, Right? We would say, you know what, they don't know what they're talking about. We might, might hear them out, but then we convince ourselves after the conversation's over why we don't need to listen to them in this situation. That's what we do a lot of times, right? Well, we're going to look at today a passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 5 where something remarkable happens. It's a story about a man named Simon who was an expert. He was, authority. He was an authority as a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. What he did vocationally, it's what he did for a living. Simon was a fisherman. And Simon the fisherman is in a predicament where he's not catching any fish, and up walks a carpenter, Jesus. And he offers him some advice. What's Simon going to do? The fisherman is getting fishing advice from the carpenter. The fisherman decided to take the advice. And by looking at this passage today in Luke chapter 5, uh, it's my hope that we'll understand a little more about what God is calling us to in life, 
and the opportunity that we have to walk with him in every area of our life. As we look at Jesus calling Simon from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. So if you've got a Bible, you might grab it. Turn there to Luke chapter 5, uh, first 11 verses. That's where we're going to be today. Uh, but before we, we dive in and look at some of the applications, I think it's important to kind of set the story a little bit for us. As I mentioned, Simon uh, was a fisherman. Simon would later have his name changed to the name we're more familiar with, Peter, Simon Peter. Simon was a fisherman. He was in a fishing business with his brother Andrew and with James and John. They had a fishing business on the Sea of Galilee, and they would go out every night, because that's the time when you would catch fish. They would go out every night on the Sea of Galilee, and they would catch fish, and they, they were pretty good at it. Fishermen in the ancient world uh, were basically the equivalent of our middle class. They made a nice living catching fish on the Sea of Galilee, and every night they would go out and they would fish. And every night, since they had gone out there for year after year after year catching fish on the Sea of Galilee, they knew every honey hole on that entire pond. They knew where to go to catch the fish, and they made their living catching them. Well, one night, uh, Simon and Andrew, James and John, go out fishing, and they fish all night long, and they catch zero fish. Zero fish. Well, they get in their boats, and they they head back to shore as daylight is, is dawning, and they head back in exhausted and discouraged. They'd worked hard all night with no return for their labor. You think of it this way. They had just gotten paid zero dollars per hour because they'd spent all night fishing and they hadn't caught anything. They wouldn't have a paycheck. They come in exhausted and they come in discouraged. And they show up on the shores and the the sun is up and there's a crowd there. This was abnormal. The crowd had gathered there around the Sea of Galilee because Jesus had begun preaching to the masses. And so as James and John, Simon and Andrew are there with their boats in dock, kind of taking care of their fishing supplies. Jesus begins preaching. And as Jesus is preaching to the masses, such a large crowd develops that Jesus needs to create a little distance between him and the crowd so that he can effectively communicate. He needs a stage. So he turns to Simon and he says, hey, Simon, let me hop in the boat and let's Let's go out and I can speak. Now, what's interesting is that Jesus and Simon would have had a history before this point. You know, sometimes we read this and we think, Jesus and Simon, this was their first rodeo together. It wasn't. Jesus and Simon had spent some time together in the past. Uh, we know this from various passages of Scripture. If you look over in the book of John, in chapter 1, verses 40 to 42, you see it on the screen up there, you can flip over there, it says, one of the two who heard John... Uh, speak, meaning John the Baptist, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother and partner in business. He first found his own brother Simon, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ, and he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. See, Simon and Jesus had a history. Andrew had introduced them at some point previous to this event at the lake. But we also know that Simon had even had a little more experience with Jesus than that because in chapter 4 of Luke, just before the events unfold in chapter 5 that we're going to look at more in depth, uh, Simon had invited Jesus over to his house because his mother-in-law was sick. Verse 38 of chapter 4 says, And Jesus arose and he left the synagogue and he entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf. 
And he stood over her, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. See, Simon had a history with Jesus. He had been introduced by his brother Andrew. He had seen Jesus do some remarkable things in performing these miracles. And so Simon is now on a boat on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus just a little ways from shore, and Jesus is speaking to the masses. Simon there cleaning his nets. And this is the point where we'll get a little more in depth in Luke chapter 5, uh, the first 11 verses. And we're going to see two applications this morning as we look at Jesus calling Simon today. Uh, the first one is this. We need to learn to see God in the light of our day job. We need to see God in the light of our day job. We, we see this uh, very early on in the first eight verses or so. Beginning in verse 1, it says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, Gennesaret was a town on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Calling it the Lake of Gennesaret, just another way, slang way of saying Sea of Galilee. It said, And Jesus saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down, and he taught the people from the boat. So the fisherman takes his boat a little ways from shore, and Jesus is preaching. And Simon's cleaning his nets, but he's taking all of this in. We don't know exactly what Jesus was talking about, but Simon, here's the whole message right there on the shore of the lake. And after Jesus had finished that message... Verse 4, it says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, now think about this. The carpenter is telling the fisherman how to fish, and he's giving him advice that seems totally irrational in some ways to Simon. You caught fish at night, not during the day. They had fished on that lake all night. And they didn't catch anything. Why would they go back out in less favorable conditions and try to catch fish? This just didn't make sense. See, Simon's the one that knew when to fish. Simon's the one that knew where to fish. And Jesus was saying, why don't you go out and cast your nets and see what you can catch? I mean, that, that Simon at some level had to be going, what? What are you talking about? This is my area. You know, if Jesus had said, I have some advice for you on loving your neighbor, Simon probably would have started to take notes. If Jesus said, I want to interpret for you Isaiah 40, Simon would have said, please tell me what you know about Isaiah 40. But Jesus starts giving fishing advice to a fisherman. Now we know, we know all about who Jesus is from the rest of Scripture, but put yourself in Simon's position. The carpenter is giving him fishing advice. So what's he do? What's he do? Well, he decides to listen to him after a brief interaction. It says, Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night, and we took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. In other words, I've seen enough of you, Jesus. I've got enough of a relationship with you that even though what you're suggesting to me might seem against what I know in this area of my domain, I'm going to go ahead and follow your advice. I'm going to go ahead and go out and drop the nets. And you know what? That decision... It's a pretty good decision. 
Because, in verse 6, and when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. How large? So large that their nets began to break. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. I mean, that's a lot of fish. Enough boats that the nets are breaking, or enough, enough fish that the nets are breaking? Enough fish that the boats begin to sink? This is a massive, massive catch of fish. They'd fished all night, hadn't caught anything. At Jesus' direction, they're sinking their boats with fish. The carpenter's advice to the fishermen ended up being pretty good. And you know, what happened in this moment was that Peter was able to see, Simon Peter was able to see Jesus' work in the light of his day job. He was able to see God do something in an area that he previously thought he had totally under control himself. Because he was willing to trust God with the area where he was the expert. He was able to see something that nobody else on that shoreline would have fully understood as well as he did. Think about it. Nobody else on the shoreline, apart from his partners in in business, would have appreciated that miracle as much as they had. Nobody else had been out all night fishing and caught nothing when they came in. Nobody else would have been thinking, what is this carpenter telling me about this, this situation? They, they, just, they just would have, wouldn't have, would have missed it. But in this particular instance, Simon was able to be front and center and see God work in a way that only he would appreciate all the nuances of that gift. See, Simon was not in a position to say, wow, I am such a good fisherman, look what I caught. Simon was not in a position to say, wow, I just got really lucky. Because of his understanding of the situation and because it was in an area where he previously thought he had everything under control and he had all the answers, because he was willing to trust God in that area, he was able to appreciate the work of God in ways that he wouldn't have thought possible before. He was front and center to see God work. As I read that this week, I was thinking about its connection to our lives. I, I thought about the areas where we find ourselves in positions where we think that we've got things under control, positions where we think that we're an expert, positions where we're an authority, uh, whether it's our family or our business or, or, or whatever it might be, things, places where we think we've got things under control. You know, in those areas, isn't it amazing how easy it is for us to assume that we have all the answers and that we don't need God's direction at all in those areas? I mean, sure, when we face something that is so large and so insurmountable, uh, we find out we've got cancer or a relative dies, Uh, we hear about House of Hope issues in Nicaragua. When we see those things, those are so beyond us, sometimes we turn to God to prayer in those things. But sometimes we we don't turn to God in the areas where we think that we've got some authority or dominion or or whatever. Places where we think we're the expert, we, we tend to want to handle those things ourselves and not turn them over to the Lord. I mean, I'll give you an example from, from my own life. I was talking to uh, Kimberly a few weeks ago. We were talking about our, our personal budget in some areas, and she was asking me, hey, you know, do you, have you been praying at all about some of these categories where we've got some expenses? And, and my answer was, was no. And I, I'm ashamed to tell you that, but my answer was no. And you know why? When I broke down why I was thinking that way, I was thinking that way because like, no, no, in those categories, in those areas, I've got those things under control. 
Personal finances, family business, I've got those things under control. I'll trust God with these things over here, the spiritual things, whatever. But there's certain things in my life that are just kind of mine. What a, what, a, what a silly, foolish perspective that is. And yet that's exactly where, where I found myself that day. Think about the areas of your life where you think you've got things under control, where you think you're an authority, where you think that you're an expert in some capacity. It's possible for us in those areas to stop trusting in God and really to not seek his advice. Think if Peter would have said to Jesus, you're a carpenter, you have nothing to say about my life as a fisherman, what he would have missed on that day. When we say to God, when we say to Christ, you know what, I've got my business life taken care of, I don't need you here. When we say, you know, I've got my family life taken care of, I don't need you here. I've got my, my marriage taken care of, we don't need you here. When we stop realizing our need for Christ's perspective on all the areas of our life, we, we, we find ourselves in spots where we begin to miss out on what God wants to do in the light of our day jobs. See, like Simon, we need to listen to the perspective of Christ. And so what does that look like? What does it mean for us? In our lives. Well, one of the things I think it means for us is that we need to begin to pray or continue to pray for many of us, just an encouragement today, to, to, to pray for all of the areas of our life. Pray for your business life. Pray for your, your family life. Pray for your, your children. Pray for all these things. And pray for them from the perspective of, God, what is your direction to me in these areas? What do you have to say, God? What do you want me to do when it comes to my personal finances, when it comes to my family, when it comes to my work, whatever it is, the areas where we think that we're the expert, have we invited Christ in and said, what do you have to say to us in this area? And as we pray, begin to pray that way, what, what happens is, is then, then God's word begins to open up for us. As we read his word, we, we find out that God has a lot to say to us about these areas where we previously thought we had everything under control. He's got some direction, some path that he wants us to follow and to trust him in and his advice. You think about things like business and family, and the, the, all those are relational enterprises. The scripture says a lot about how that is. Think about finances. There's a lot of things that the scripture says about finances that instruct how we handle those in our home and in our, in our workplace, all of those kinds of things. There's a sense where we need to learn to seek the Lord's direction in our day job, seek his direction in the areas where we think that we have things under control. And you know, when we do that and we begin to, to, to trust him and to, to seek his direction, well, we'll find God beginning to work in ways that only we can appreciate. As a parent, when you begin to pray that God would do something in the life of your child and you begin to see hints that those things are breaking through, you begin to realize, wow, God is at work. And you don't, you're not left with the option at that point to say, well, I've got it all under control. I'm such a great parent. I'm so lucky. You're able to say, no, God has been at work. Same thing with your business. Same thing with your finances, whatever. There's a sense where we need to learn to see God at work in the light of our day job. But as we see him at work in our everyday, in all these areas of our life, the, the next thing that needs to happen is we need to submit to God in light of all that. We need to submit to God based on how we see him working. Uh, look at what it says there in, in verse 8. 
says, when Simon Peter saw it, when he saw this tremendous catch that happened, it says, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. See, there was a sense where Simon realized that he wasn't just lucky, he wasn't just good, he was blessed. He was in the presence of divinity. Jesus was God, and he had done something supernatural in his midst. He had, he had recognized that God was at work there, and, and his, his response was quite telling. He drops to his knees. See, Simon correctly assessed the situation. If Jesus was who he thought he was, if Jesus was God, then there was a huge implication for Simon's life because Simon was a sinful man, just as all of us are. And Simon being well acquainted with his sin and Simon realizing that Jesus was, was God, realized that the only hope that he had was to fall to his knees and to lay his life before him because Jesus, who was God, would have the authority to punish the sins that Simon had committed right then and there. See, Simon did not react with haughtiness. He didn't say, it's about time you gave me a catch like this, God. He responded with humility. Oh, Lord, this is beyond what my wildest, you have blessed me with something that I do not deserve. It was a whole different perspective, and Simon got it right. And he dropped to his knees at the feet of Christ. You know, when, when people throughout Scripture recognize divinity in their presence you know what they with the ones that get it right in scripture you know what they do they respond with humility they respond by dropping to their knees isaiah chapter 6 isaiah is in the presence of god in the very throne room of god and and he's he's in this vision and he realizes he's there and he realizes he's in the presence of god he says woe to me because i am a man of unclean lips and i live among a people of unclean lips and in other words I'm a sinful man. He dropped to his knees. In, in Revelation chapter 1, when the apostle John gets a tap on the shoulder and he turns around and he sees the Savior standing behind him, the resurrected and glorified Savior standing behind him, he realizes he's in the presence of divinity and he drops on his face as if dead. See, the appropriate response when we see God work, the appropriate response when we realize that God has blessed us with something significant should not be haughtiness. I deserve this. It's about time. The appropriate response is, wow, you have blessed me with more than I could possibly deserve. See, Peter, Simon Peter grasped that. And he fell to his knees, and he submitted his life before the Lord. And when he submits his life before the Lord, Jesus responds by giving him three things. The first thing he gives him is forgiveness. Look at what Jesus' first words are to Simon. Do not be afraid. Why was Simon afraid? Simon was afraid because he was a sinful man in the presence of a holy God. And sinful people and holy God are like oil and water. They just don't mix. And Simon knew that the, the appropriate response of a holy God would be to, to punish him for his sin. And so he was afraid. 
But Jesus' words are, do not be afraid. What was Jesus saying? Simon, it's okay. I'm going to make a provision for your sins. When Isaiah in Isaiah 6 sees this vision of the Lord, the angel comes and cleanses his lips with a, with a coal. Jesus, when John falls in, in Revelation 1, Jesus grabs him and says, fear not. The idea is Jesus is reminding Simon, and God is reminding Isaiah in chapter 6, that it's okay because a provision is being made for your sins. Jesus knew that three years later he would go to the cross and die on that cross to pay the full penalty for Simon's sin. And so he says, don't be afraid. The first thing that Jesus offers to Simon is forgiveness. The second thing that Jesus offers to Simon is purpose. He offers him purpose. He says after that, from now on, you'll be catching men. From now on, you're going to be catching men. The the fisherman is going to become a fisher of men. And this is all about purpose in Simon's life. He's offering an upgrade in purpose. He's offering him a a greater purpose for his life. And that is, it's, it's greater because as a fisherman, Simon caught living things, fish, and made them dead food. As a fisher of men, Jesus was saying, I want you to to, to cast my word out so that that unregenerate dead people, spiritually speaking, might be brought to life in a relationship with Christ. It was an upgrade in purpose. What's kind of interesting when you think about it is Simon didn't say, hey, Jesus, we really need you to join our business. You know, hey, we made a killing last night on this lake. We can make this same killing every year. He's doing the calculator, you know, 365 days. We are going to do quite well with you a part of our group. I didn't do that. He didn't say, hey, why don't you join us? As a matter of fact, Jesus said, hey, why don't you come join me? He had a higher purpose, a higher purpose for Simon. And that purpose was that he would become a fisher of men. And that's exactly what Simon became, right? Simon ended up preaching on Pentecost as Peter, the apostle, thousands came and placed their faith in Christ. He was a leader in the early church. He conducted miracles all over Jerusalem and Antioch and the surrounding areas. The proclamation of Christ was true about Simon. He offered him a greater purpose, to be a fisher of men. The third thing that he does is he offers him, after he offers him that purpose and forgiveness, is that he offers him fellowship. Verse 11, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. They followed him. They got to be with him. Jesus said, come on, let's go together. And they went off with him. They got fellowship with the God of the universe as he submitted his life to him in that boat. He he got the opportunity to be with him for the rest of his ministry. And you know what? As I I looked at the things that Peter uh, happened, happened to him and the way Jesus responded to him in, the, in this interaction, I realized that the same three things are offered to us as people today who have the opportunity to see God at work and to submit to him. You see, we can be offered forgiveness as well. First John 1.9 says this, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
See, as sinful people, when we are confronted with the holy God, as we see him at work around us, we see his word open up to us, our correct response should be to fall at his feet because we're sinful people and he's holy God. But when we do that, when we submit our lives to him, he says, I've got a provision for you for your sins. The death that Jesus died for Simon is the death that he offers to die for, for, for us so that our sins might be forgiven and we might be cleansed from all unrighteousness. As believers in Christ, we need to remember that and we need to thank God for it. Every time we are in a, a holy moment where we see God work, we need to realize, thank you, Lord, for giving me something that I didn't deserve, which is forgiveness. And if you're here this morning and you've never done that, you've never placed your faith in Christ, you've never experienced the forgiveness that he offers, know that Jesus offers you the same thing. In light of your sin, the appropriate response would be to fall before the Lord. And, and, and when we fall, Jesus says, don't be afraid. I have a provision for that sin. See, one thing that we're offered is forgiveness. But a second thing that we're offered is we're offered purpose. Just as Simon was asked to be a fisher of men, so we too, as, as people, can be offered this great role of being an ambassador for Christ in our world today. Uh, verses 18 to 20 in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. See, all of us here as believers in Christ, as we humbly lay our lives before him, have been given a call up in purpose. This doesn't mean that all of us will leave the vocation that we're currently in. That doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean that we've been called to a higher purpose. We've been called to join Christ in his work. We've been called to be able to, to share this message of reconciliation that God loves people, has a plan for them, compassion for them. We can share that message in Nicaragua. We can share that message in your workplace. We can share that message in your family. We've been given a call up in purpose. Not taking living things and making them dead, but dead things and making them alive. We're offered to be fishers of men and women. We've been given this upgrade in purpose. And the third thing is that we're given fellowship. Now, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, Jesus says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. That statement that Christ makes is a, is a fellowship statement. Hey, we're going to be together and we're going to be together forever. When we submit our lives to Christ, we're not left alone. We're forgiven, we're given a purpose, and we're given fellowship with the God of the universe. What a powerful thing to think about. When we think about responding to a message like this, responding to a passage like Luke chapter 5, what are you going to do? It's my hope we would begin to see God at work in the light of our day jobs. We would trust Him with the areas and the places where we think we've got it all together. And then as we see God work, whether it be in his word or in, in our lives, we would begin to submit or continue to submit to lay our lives down before him, to accept the forgiveness that he offers, 
to live into the purpose that he's calling us to, and to live life in fellowship with the God of the universe. A fisherman did well by listening to the advice of a carpenter. And all of us would do well as well. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this time today. We thank you for your word and the opportunity to look at it together. I pray that you would help all of us to have the faith to trust you with our lives. Not just some parts, not just the spiritual parts that we would deem spiritual. But Father, every part of our lives we would learn to trust in you. We would submit to you as we see you at work in our every day. And Father, I pray that if there are those here today who have never accepted the forgiveness that you offer in Christ, I pray that they might do so now, falling at your feet and hearing you say, do not be afraid. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.